A few years ago, I found myself out at Camp Weed for a young adult retreat weekend focused on vocation. One of my favorite talks from this weekend is one about the calling of marriage. While normally given by a couple married hmm, around five years, this time around we decided to ask a couple who had been married over 50 years to give the talk. While I'm sure they said many important things about marriage that day, I only remember one specific piece of advice. Someone had asked, what is the key to a happy marriage? And the husband thought a second and then said, there was a period in my life where I was trying to do everything I could to make myself happy. And it wasn't until I focused on making my wife and my family happy that I became happy myself. We live in a self-obsessed culture. We are constantly seeking the next thing to bring happiness or satisfaction to ourselves. If I could just buy the right car, I could be content. If I could just find the right job, I could be at peace. If I could just find the right spouse, I could be happy. There are whole industries built on convincing us we need more. We have whole sections of Amazon and iTunes dedicated to books and podcasts to help us find happiness. We have an entire field of medicine that with a little nip here and a little tuck there can help you modify your body to what you think it should look like. And yet, our rates of depression, anxiety, and addiction keep rising. The reason happiness has become such a growing industry is because no one is finding it. God has a way of knowing human nature that is just uncanny. It's almost like he created us or something. Today we watch the disciples, folks who hang out with Jesus full-time, struggling with worldly things. The disciples are arguing over who is the greatest. Who would have thought that a group of young men would ever get together and have this conversation? Anyway, they spend the whole time from Galilee to Capernaum trying to figure out which one of them is greater than the last. And when they finally arrive, Jesus, like a parent on a road trip, finally asks, what was all that commotion about in the back seat on the way over here? And suddenly the disciples have nothing to say. But Jesus knows. He knows how we are as humans. And in first century Palestine, honor was the currency of the day. It was all about the strength of your name and how you could scratch someone else's back so they could scratch yours. What Jesus says next turns their idea of what is important in life on its head. Jesus says, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Now, in this time period, servants would have been a fairly normal part of society. However, I don't know about y'all, but it's been a long time since I've had a servant to wait on me. Those of you who have watched Downton Abbey may have at least some frame of reference. Servants' jobs are to take care of the family who hires them. They are people who live for others. This would have been an unpopular message to the disciples 
who were in a culture that was all about ladder climbing. To make matters worse, Jesus tells them that they shouldn't just serve those who can help them climb society's ladder. Rather, Jesus pulls a child into the mix, saying, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Children at this time had no value to society. They were a drain on resources, an investment only in that they might live long enough to start working and then to either help with the family business or be married off. The disciples would not be interested in babysitting, much less welcoming this child into their group. But what Jesus is pointing out to the disciples also applies to us. While we may easily fall into the trap of thinking only about ourselves and our own happiness, Jesus is telling us that something more can come out of being a servant to all. Like the very wise husband who finds happiness through serving his wife and children, we can find true happiness, satisfaction, and contentment, not through seeking these things for ourselves, but through seeking to serve others in the world. John F. Kennedy may have been onto something when he said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. What if we approached the world this way? When we met people, what about if we stopped asking what they could do for us, what we can get out of them, and instead ask ourselves, how can I serve this person today? We tend to think we are only changing the world when we are doing large, grandiose acts. We feel as though we must join a protest, or start a homeless shelter, or write a bestseller in order to have really done something in the world. But Jesus is telling us that in an act as simple as welcoming someone whose approval means nothing to you, we are welcoming God into our midst. God is telling us that by serving one person, We are becoming the people God designed us to be. As we read through Deuteronomy in our Thursday morning Bible study, I have to remind myself that God does not give us arbitrary rules to make our lives harder or just because he can. God made us. He knows us. He loves us. And like a good parent, God gives us rules to guide us where we are now. God is crazy about you, and he wants to give you every good gift. So when Jesus tells us to be servants to all, it's not because he's cruel or wants to be hard on us. It's because God is helping us to fight against the human side of us, the selfish, the egotistical, the self-centered, and instead to reach out to the divine, to become more like God. God created us, male and female, in his own image. God, who has created and served all of creation by giving them this world and their lives, has created us to be givers and servants just as he is. And even though it appears to be against our human nature, even though some of us may really struggle with serving others, Jesus is telling us this is what we were designed to do. And we find happiness, satisfaction, and peace through serving others. In Swanee, we had a true wildflower season. 
After a freezing cold winter that never would seem to go away, suddenly little pops of color would start appearing all over the mountain. It would start little at first, just a few flowers here or there that would be wiped out within a few days by a new frost. But as soon as these little flowers popped up out of the ground, it would amaze me at how the young kids living on the mountain would be so quick to find and pluck them. And the fun thing about kids is that they would never pick these flowers for themselves. They would pick a few flowers and then run up to their mom or dad with their tiny bouquets in hand, beaming from ear to ear, and yell, Here! These are for you! There is joy in serving. And opportunities to serve are as prevalent as wildflowers in spring. So my fellow Christians, next time you are in a funk, next time you are cranky or bored or sad, fight against the urge to pick up the latest book on happiness or to binge watch the next season of The Great British Bake Off. Or, my personal favorite, to drive to Hippo Pop and eat all of the hipster popsicles you can possibly stand. Instead, remember the words of Christ and ask not what God's people can do for you. Ask what you can do for God's people. Amen.